0: It is indeed a blessing to have uh, the group back from Zambia, or from Zambia, from Estonia. You'll know why I said that in just a moment. Um, It was exciting to have them come back, and I pray that they were great blessings there. I'm sure that they were. The reason I mentioned Zambia is because we have another family that is preparing to go there. And I have the word Zambia written right there. Because the Wises are getting ready to go. Uh, I think you said three days? In three days, they're going to be going to Zambia. For quite a while, Trevor and Cherry and their family have been supporting some children in Zambia in addition to the work that we as a church do there and as a part of our work. And I remember about three years ago or so when Robin and I were in Zambia, we had a chance to meet a little deaf girl who was at a, a special school in the city of Choma. And the wisest support that little deaf girl. And so I know that they're going to go see her. And I, I think they actually support another child there as well. And so it's going to be wonderful that they have a chance to go to Zambia and spend some time with children that they support and then visiting the work that we do there around Naomianga and uh, Zambia Mission Fund Canada and all of the, those things. So uh, God speed to you as you go. In fact, uh, let me pray for them as they prepare to go to Zambia. Let's pray. Lord, I'd pray for sure that you would be with Trevor and Sherry and their family as they travel to Zambia. I pray this is a wonderful blessing for them. God, I pray that you keep them safe. I pray that the things that they do there will benefit your kingdom. I pray that they also just enjoy a time of respite and and rest. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. A couple of other things I'll mention. Jonathan's already mentioned VBS Prep Day. Make sure that you're ready for that next Sunday. As soon as we finish here on Sunday morning, everybody pitch in. And the work uh, will be quick if we do that, and we'll get all of that done. And I just—I think God is going to bless us greatly with Vacation Bible School in the next week, Uh, not this coming week, but the following. And we will be uh, doing Sherry, or Carrie, uh, Nickel, and those who are working with Vacation Bible School a great favor if we pitch in and help out. Also wanted to mention that we need to be praying for Dana Rippenhagen. She has been afflicted with another kidney stone. Uh, This is something that, for those of you who don't know, is a regular pattern in her life. She has had many, 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 many kidney stones. If you know anything about those, they are extremely painful, and so be praying for Dana. And then I heard yesterday that Chris Bailey's aunt passed away in Germany, and so we want to be praying for that family as well. I don't know uh, whether or not you get as genuinely excited about Scripture and reading Scripture the way that I do, But there are just so many times in my life when I'll be reading along in the Bible, all of which I've read before, of course, some portions of which I have read many, many times, and I always get excited about something that I see that I hadn't seen before. And that happened to me this week as I was reading Scripture and preparing for today. And so we're going to read a parable this morning, but what I want us to do in addition to that is to get the full picture of this parable by reading some of the context around it. I want you to turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. Please turn there. Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. It's on page 695. And then I wanted to also tell you this this morning. Uh, This is a picture of my son, Ryan, and our granddaughter, Nora who is, from what I can tell, the most beautiful, smartest child in the world, actually. And this was taken about eight days ago as they were standing, looking over Lake Moraine. If you've seen Moraine Lake before, then you know that this is what it looks like. But what's really cool is that this is what was written by my daughter-in-law, Jessica, after they had been to Moraine Lake uh, on that morning. There was a smelly hippie rental camping van parked near this lake that had a message painted on the back which read, I have dogs instead of kids because I'd rather ruin my carpet than my life. And and while that may at first sound a bit funny, it's not really, I totally get that having kids isn't for everyone, nor should it be, but it got me thinking. Ryan and I have made a great effort to continue doing the things we love and taking Nora along for the ride. We love to travel and explore, and she has kept up every step of the way so far, even through a, very, uh, through a few grumpy moments. We've taken her hiking, tent camping, swimming in a glacial runoff in Hot Springs, riding in an ATV, and that's not to say we don't have some limits on what we can do, but that won't last forever. I hope we instill in her a love for God's creation that we all get to call home for now. I hope she gets to travel the world, and we would love to be right there alongside her as we discover new places. We love getting to see things in a fresh way through her eyes, and she forces us to slow down and take it all in. Children crave adventure just as much, if not more, than adults, and we're going to have the time of our lives showing her the beauty and wonder of this world, so you can bet that we will be traveling with baby. And I think that's right. That fits. There's something good about that. And for that story to be told teaches us something. We see the photograph, we hear the story, and probably all of you like me are thinking to yourself, wow, the guy with the van, how short-sighted he is, how he doesn't get it. How he doesn't understand. And Jessica's story makes so clear how important our stories are. I, I said to Robin this morning as we were getting ready to come here, I said, you know, I, this whole notion of stories telling our kids, I said, do you remember the first time that you ever went traveling with your parents? Or, or uh, what is the earliest memory that you have of traveling with your parents? And I don't remember all the, the early memories for me. I remember traveling to Yakima, Washington to see my aunt and uncle. Just vague memories. But the one that really sticks in my mind is when I was seven years old, my dad took me away from my own birthday party, and he took me on a hunting trip. First one I ever went on. And we were gone for about a week. And I think that was kind of my birthday present. And the fact is, I remember that event extremely well, even though I was seven years old. Now, Nora is only about 18 months. She's not going to remember. But Easton, who is maybe the smartest boy, um, along with his new brother, Blake, like they seem to be equally intelligent. It's amazing to me. Um, But they, they are are going to remember things because they're now getting old enough. And I was just thinking about how we need to build these memories. And these stories just teach, and they, they, they show us things that we otherwise could never see. Well, this morning, I want to read some portions of Scripture which I think do just exactly that kind of thing for us. They show us some things about Jesus, about life with God, that we really need to see. And it's stories that do this. So if you're with me, On page 695 or in Matthew 18:10, let me read this. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven, Jesus says. And then I want you to notice that there is a footnote that goes along with that verse. Do you see the footnote? If you look at the bottom of the page, in the Pew Bibles, it's letter number C. In a lot of your other NIV Bibles, if you have an NIV, there's going to be an alternative reading at the footnote. And the alternative reading is going to say something like, The Son of Man came to save what was lost. So you can see verse 10, see that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that there are angels in heaven, always see the face of my Father in heaven. And then the Son of Man came to save what was lost as an alternative reading. And in fact, if you have a King James Bible, for you, looking at your King James Bible this morning, that is not an alternative reading. That part in yellow or brown or whatever that is, orange, is simply part of the text, Now, the reason for that is because in 1611, when they translated the King James Bible, the manuscripts they used were a little bit different than the manuscripts that we have access to today. In the meantime, we have discovered a lot more manuscripts. And in fact, we've discovered a lot of manuscripts that are much older than the ones they used when they translated the King James. And so translators have actually decided that that last portion, which has become verse 11, and you'll notice in your NIV, by the way, it goes from verse 10 to verse 12 with no verse 11, And the reason for that is because they've decided that that verse is not an early reading. It only shows up in late manuscripts. Which means, of course, that someone along the line in copying the different sets of manuscripts decided to add in verse 11. Now my question, first of all this morning, is why? Why is it that somebody would add in verse 11 in addition to verse 10 and put it right in there between verse 10 and verse 12? And I think I have an answer. It's because if you read verse 10, who can understand it? Verse 10 is hard to get. I read verse 10 many times in the last few days. And I must say, I'm not sure I'm really confident that I have a handle on verse 10. But I just think that probably the guy who wrote verse 11 does or did. I think he kind of knew what was going on there. So when it says the Son of Man came to save what was lost, I think the point of verse 10 is in fact contained in verse 11. So that's why we have this kind of reading. First of all in the NIV, See that you do not look down on the one of these little ones, for I tell you that there are angels in heaven. Always see the face of my Father in heaven. Which is pretty difficult to know what that's talking about. And then the King James Version reads this way, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. And he's not talking just about children, obviously. What he's talking about is those who sin. And it's those who sin who are dear to God. God cares about sinful people. In fact, I would say, and this really is the, Kelly giving away the point from the beginning... God has an attitude about those who are his little children and certainly those who sin. And we need to think about what it means for us to have an attitude or what attitude we should have about those who also sin around us and maybe even against us. Now I want to read the rest of this chapter here and I hope that what I've just said about an attitude that is developed about those who are sinful and about how we will treat them will come to light. And so look at verse 12. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones Should be lost. What is the attitude about God towards sinners? Verse 15 If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Well, I think that these passages have to kind of be seen in light of what we just read. Asking the question, what is the attitude that God holds towards sinners more than anything else? And now I want to read the parable that I really want to focus on today. But as I do, I want us to ask this question. Does the King James Version edition of verse 11 in chapter 18 tell us anything about the parable of the unmerciful servant? And that seems to me to be an important question for the day. Because I want to read the unmerciful servant, this story, just as well as I possibly can. And I think that verse 11, and the rest of the chapter really, inform us greatly about what is going on. And so let's read it. Verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, and all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now the point is often made in this story and it's a right point that the difference between uh, the debt that is owed by the unmerciful servant and the debt that is owed by the second servant is huge. Like there's a massive difference there. It's like the first guy owns millions and millions and millions. He could never in his lifetime pay it back. The second guy owes only a small portion. So the first debt is monstrous and it's forgiven. The second debt is relatively small and it's not forgiven. Well, here's my point as we read these together. That add-on from verse 10 that becomes verse 11 in the King James Version, along with these verses helps us see not just what God thinks about forgiveness, But what Matthew himself saw as a key point in what Jesus wants us to do in our relationships with one uh, one another. In fact, I would say that there is a thread running through this whole chapter. And that this is why Matthew brings these things together. He brings them together to make a specific point about the attitude we're supposed to have towards others who sin against us. And the point is, is that the Son of Man came to save that which was lost. Jesus looked at those who were lost and he said, I want more than anything to save them. I want to forgive them. I want to be in relationship with them. And that was the attitude on his heart as he looked to human beings. He longed to forgive And it is so important in the relationships that we have, not that we stress fairness. And we do this all the time. We're always talking about what we think is fair, what we think is equitable, what we think somebody deserved. And all the while that we're thinking about what people deserve and how we should treat them just in the way that they deserve, Jesus is treating us in a way that we don't deserve. He treats us with incredible forgiveness and then longs, he longs to forgive and simply wants us to do the same. So does he want us to forgive? Of course. But he wants so much more. I want you to look at the very last verse of the last parable we read. Verse 35. And I've got it on the screen here as well. Look at these words. This is, is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother. And look at the next words. I've italicized them. There's no italics in Greek, but I italicize these. From your heart. From your heart. That's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to forgive each other from our hearts. You know, forgiveness is an action that Jesus wants you to take. But He knows, He knows that you can forgive and you can even use the words, I forgive you and not have it really be from your heart. And He wants from us something different. The fact is that any kind of action that we do in the name of Christ can be done with some sense of legality about it. You can say to me, Well, the Bible says you're supposed to forgive me. And as soon as you say that, it makes me think, I don't think you really understand what it means for you to be forgiven. Or, in the same way, I can say to you, I forgive you, and I'm not sure that you totally understand what it means for you to forgive somebody. Evan, you want to come up? I've asked Evan to speak loudly, but I didn't tell you. I'm going to give you Jonathan's microphone. There you go. Evan, last week you asked me if I would help you move your piano from your uh, apartment to your parents' house, and and I told you that I couldn't do it because I already had plans at that time. I've been feeling guilty because to tell you the truth, I didn't have other plans. I lied to you. I simply wasn't feeling like helping you move your piano in the heat, and it was a long drive for me to get there. So I lied to you and I told you that I was busy. I really had no reason for not helping other than the fact that I just didn't want to. I've been feeling guilty, not so much because I wanted time to myself, but because I lied to you. And I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Uh, well, certainly,
1: I forgive you. Thanks for letting me know. Maybe next time.
0: That's scenario number one. Scenario number two. Last week you asked me if I would help you move your piano from your apartment to your parents' house, and I told you that I couldn't do it because I had already had plans at that time. I've been feeling guilty because, to tell you the truth, I didn't have other plans. I lied to you. I simply wasn't feeling like helping you move your piano in the heat, and it was a long drive for me. So I lied to you, and I told you that I was busy when I really wasn't. I really had no reason for not helping, other than the fact that I just didn't want to. And I've been feeling guilty, not so much because I wanted time to myself, but because I lied to you. And I'm sorry. Will you forgive me?
1: Wow. Kelly, listen. Well, first, I know it took some courage for you to tell me that, and I'm sorry this has been on your mind for so long. The fact is, I could have used the help, but the fact is, too, that you aren't the first person to not tell the whole truth about not helping someone with their move. I do forgive you, and I want to thank you for being willing to tell me the truth. I'll tell you what. Because we're friends, I won't promise that I won't ever ask you to help me again, (laughs) Because there may come a time when I really do need your help. But I want you to promise me that if you aren't feeling up to it, that you'll just tell me the truth. And I will accept that as what you need to do. Okay? Are we good?
0: We're good. Thank awesome. you very much. Perfect. Well, I don't think it's very hard for you to see the difference. Was he sincere the first time? Ah, maybe. Maybe, maybe he wasn't. But I have no doubt about the second time. It was clear to me in the way that Evan communicated the second time that the forgiveness that he was giving to me, offering to me, was real. And there wasn't just some wave at forgiveness. There was some sincere response on his part. And my question is, which way do you want to be forgiven? If you've got to choose, if you've done something to somebody, which of those do you really hope is the attitude and the perspective of the person that you want to be forgiven from? And I think it's the second. And in fact, I think that's what Jesus wants to see us offer to others. There is something real and deep and profound that happens when forgiveness really takes place. And when within ourselves we have the ability to say to another, I really, really do forgive you from my heart. And so, if we take all these verses together from chapter 18, God doesn't just want us to look for sheep, find it, and then bring it back. He wants us to have a party. He wants there to be genuine rejoicing. Because of where our heart is at. Regarding that sheep. And he doesn't want you. To just go through the procedure. Of first personally showing the one who has sinned against you his sin and that if he won't listen take two or one or two witnesses and then if he still won't listen take to him the whole church and if he still won't listen let him be a, to you a pagan and a tax collector and you know we, we know this procedure we know Matthew 18 15 tells us to do that we can go through that procedure and feel really good at ourse- about ourselves at the end of the day because we've carried through with the procedure But of course, Jesus wants so much more than that. And in fact, when I think about the way he treated pagans and tax collectors, it kind of blows me away. He wants us instead to really care about the one who has sinned against us. And even if we have to cut off fellowship, he wants us to do that in the context of great affection and love and care, because that's what Jesus extends to us. So Jesus does not want us to simply forgive those who have sinned against us and who therefore owe us something. You could just take forgiving actions. You could just cancel some debts that were owed to you. But Jesus doesn't want you to just cancel debts. Because you could do all of that with an unchanged heart. You could do that with a perspective where really... Maybe it's more than just going through the motions. But deep inside, you can't within yourself forgive. And Jesus wants us really to forgive. And so we all have the ability to say we forgive and not really do it. But we also have the ability to truly forgive from our hearts. Because we've been forgiven by Christ. And we know what that's like. So why does verse 11 make total sense then? Why did the editor at some point of the manuscripts put in there verse 11? Even if it wasn't originally part of the gospel of Matthew. Because the whole section is talking about the attitude that one is to have towards those who sin we tend to be quick with our judgments against those who sin against us. We tend to not forgive as fully as we should those who sin against us. Sometimes we even forgive legalistically because we know we're supposed to. But Christ from us expects something different. And the attitude of Jesus toward those who sin is one of genuine forgiveness from the heart. So the question this morning is, whom do you need to forgive? And not just legalistically, not just saying it. Not just because you have to, because Jesus said you need to. And if you don't, you know what will happen at the end in verse 35 if you don't forgive. But because Jesus wants us to forgive from our hearts. And so that person you're thinking of, forgive them from your heart. God calls us to do so. Let's pray. Lord, we know uh, what it means to be forgiven, because you have forgiven us, and we are unworthy. And so I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to forgive, the way that you have forgiven us. I'd pray that what we hold in our hearts about another is nothing but a love and mercy that's equivalent to your own. Help us to love and to forgive like that. We pray through Jesus. Amen.